0: While we're talking about your really young years, were you ever aware or looking back even, um, was there a moment when you just realized, gosh, I do have this entrepreneurial spirit?
1: No, no, never. Whenever you get inserted into something just completely new, um, not only is there shell shock, but oftentimes you're unorthodox approach can also bring maybe a bit of a refreshing viewpoint that others just don't have the ability to see Um, because there's something to be said about once you've been educated into something that it makes it hard to see the world any other way.
2: Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business. All walks of life, anonymous or named, high-profile or low-down, stories with heart, soul, and grit, because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winch.
0: Reboot's episode R019 features my friend Miles Crawford. Miles runs a family-owned business. His experience, (laughs) barista, short order cook at a fast food chain, and a whole lot of hard knocks. Now, I've known Miles for a long time, and following nearly every encounter, I've come away with something to think about. After this interview, I'm pretty sure you're going to know exactly what I mean, because I think you'll have at least one topic that provokes further investigation. Miles and I talk about a lot of different things in this interview. The gig economy, how to prepare for the deconstruction of work as we know it and what it might or might not mean for the economy. We also talk about the spiritual, emotional, and intellectual deconstruction of Miles and what it means to his business, Go Ye Employment Services, and what it might mean for all of us who must confront the tension between ethics and turning a profit. Hey, Miles, thank you for inviting us into your life and into your business. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the invite, and I'm excited for the conversation to see where it goes.
0: You're one of my, my longtime friends, and you have taught me a lot over the years about entrepreneurship and building relationships and trying stuff sometimes. So thank you for that. I appreciate it.
1: I'm glad I could teach you how to try stuff.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's, sometimes it's about courage um, sure, and, sure. and just saying it's going to be okay to fail, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to know yeah. what's your life like? now?
1: It's it's good, so we'll start there. Uh, I spend a, a lot of times, and I'm very fortunate that I get to spend a lot of time uh, being involved in things that uh, kind of light that fire inside of you and help you continue your day-to-day, nine-to-five, with a little bit of spring in your step. Um, so, you know, I've got a wife of many years now and two beautiful children who are coming up on that beautiful age as well of uh, 7 and 9, I believe. They both just had birthdays, so um, to spend a lot of time with them on the, uh, you know, 9 to 5 here and uh, 5 to 9 with them, and every waking moment is pretty much filled, but uh, so personal life is really consumed with that. Um, try not to work too much at home, but we're all victims of smartphones and technology, so <clears throat> that line gets blurred on occasion, but I'm I'm pretty proud of the balance. I think we maintain a good balance there. Um and with work, like I mentioned, I I get to spend a lot of time on initiatives that I support, initiatives that I believe in. Uh, some I'm a follower of, and some of them I'm spearheading. Both very different roles. Both you stand to learn a lot, take a lot away, uh, create some some good relationships outside of the the world you're generally exposed to and interacting with. So that's uh, that's been really fun. Um, like I said, it kind of helps keep the spring in your step. I've been here at Go Yee for just celebrated eleven years in November. Um so all my adult professional life I have been here. So being able to uh enjoy some of those uh side commitments, I guess, um really helps to fight off any any burnout effects that that may potentially be lingering. I haven't haven't had to wrestle with too many of them yet. So
0: And Go Yee is a, a family business, so <clears throat> Talk to me a little bit about how you were sort of onboarded into the family business and what Go Ye does.
1: It was 2006, November. Um, I was a barista at Sweet Bay, so my career was on the fast track to success, but that's exactly where I wanted it. I uh, had a lot of good friends there, uh, fairly fresh out of high school. I wasn't looking for anything too serious. I was planning on taking a break before college if I even decided ultimately to go that route. Um, just kind of hanging out and one, uh, sunny afternoon, I got a phone call from my dad while I was uh, on shift at Sweet Bay and asked to step outside to take it because generally he, uh, knows what I'm working. So it doesn't call unless it's an emergency and, uh, called to let me know that he was having a couple of members of staff here that were uh, going to be looking at different career opportunities and wanted to know if, I would be interested in coming to work here. So that that was it. I guess when you're part of the family, the uh, the resume doesn't matter a whole lot. You just kind of get the direct phone call and the uh, offer at the spot. So um, that's how it happened. And the only other experience I had outside of uh, Sweet Bay and being a barista was my job I held while I was in high school, which was working at a Sonic drive-in as a cook for all of 5.15 an hour. Who do just as much work, if not more, if you count the grease burns, than the lovely car hops who actually get tips on top of that five fifteen an hour. Not that I have a bone to pick. I just thought everyone should be aware of that. <laughs> a little bit of a double standard.
0: So you come into a – basically what's uh, – this isn't a label that you really like to use, but it, it's a staffing service that you're trying to build and innovate and do more things with, you come into this with a really fresh approach to what it's like to be one of those employees who just really needs a job, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, funny thing is because, you know, my, my dad started this and it began business January 1, 2000. So I like to joke that everyone was really concerned about Y2K. And I guess he thought that meant a lot of people would be looking for jobs. So he saw the opportunity where everyone else saw the crisis, but, uh, the two were actually not related at all. But, um, when we were in high school, we actually, uh, got some phone calls, especially on weekends or during the summer to go do some temp jobs. And I got to tell you, I learned real quick that, uh, manual labor was not one of my strong suits whenever it came to what I would be doing in my future. But, um, so we, we had a little bit of experience from that side, um, being on the other end of it, and I've, I've got to say, with my only uh, other experience being, and uh, as I alluded to earlier, I guess I didn't confirm, I did not go to college, so uh, straight out of high school, went into hospitality, learned how to make some coffee drinks, which is a life skill that I will keep with me forever, and I've got to recommend everybody do that for a couple of months just so they have that with them. Um, But came straight from there to here uh, completely untrained, completely unpolished, completely unprofessional, completely ignorant, and all the other platitudes that you would like to insert here, you can. Um, So there was a learning curve to say the least. But one of the things that um, because I didn't get kind of cut from the same cloth, I didn't have a college education to help guide my understanding of the business world. Um, I didn't have previous experience in the staffing industry. Whenever you get inserted into something just completely new, um, not only is there a shell shock, but oftentimes your unorthodox approach can also bring maybe a bit of a refreshing viewpoint that others just don't have the ability to see. Um, Because there's something to be said about once you've been educated into something that it makes it hard to see the world any other way, um, so in a way, I came in more ignorant than probably anybody before me, uh, but potentially less uh, premeditated in certain aspects, allowing for more flexibility uh, in my thinking and my approach to how the business uh, could be ran, how it should be ran um, and i don't I don't necessarily advocate after going through it myself dropping someone in the deep end and hoping they learn to swim but I will say that um, you'll see the world in a different light from that approach than if you kind of get guided in by uh, somebody that already has determined for themselves how they view the world so there are definitely benefits to both sides I I seek out especially nowadays mentors of uh, the industry. And I speak with people that have been in it and have done it for a lot longer than I have and have reached a much higher level of success in this industry. There is something to be said for just not being dumb and seeking out wisdom when you can. Um, but I think there's also that sometimes unexpected benefit that can come whenever you mix, uh, maybe a little bit of desperation, though I'd prefer to say tenacity, with uh, complete ignorance of the situation. So there's both worlds there. Uh, Both are definitely at play, but um, I would say that that, you know, and being brought up with my mom spending as much time as she did, she actually started and runs the Hannah House here in Fort Smith, Um, been serving people for longer than I can remember um, really all of my life. And so, you know, growing up in a home where the main focus was helping and serving serving others, it's, it's impossible not to somehow translate that uh, into what we do here.
0: While we're talking about your really young years, were you ever aware or looking back even, Um, Was there a moment when you just realized, gosh, I do have this entrepreneurial spirit?
1: No, no, never. Um, I think uh, it's funny. I was reading through uh, some of the questions that we'd be covering, and I love that because that was the one that I had to stop and think about the most, to be honest. Um, I think it was always just labeled as ADHD. So, you know, whereas in the business world, if you see opportunities and you want to pursue them, you're an opportunist uh you're a risk taker. But when you're younger and maybe you don't have that formal training, but you still have that insatiable curiosity, uh, it's almost like a, a a scarlet letter that that you have a lack of focus and you need to you need to learn what's valuable and what's important. Um for me, knowledge is one of the most exciting things in the pursuit of it and new experiences. I'm I'm not a fan of the mundane um, I, I can't stand being still for long periods of time. I can't, in the past I was always critiqued that I couldn't maintain focus and, um, you know, I need to focus on the big picture and work towards my goals and, you know, you know everything else. But, uh, as mentioned, I, I never really realized I had an entrepreneurial spirit until other people started saying that uh, a few years into, um, go E when I started Understanding how our business and our industry connected to so many other businesses and industries, because when you're in staffing, yeah, you're in staffing, but you've got to be aware of the industries you're staffing, which could go from industrial and that could be light or heavy. It could go into construction or that could be road construction, residential construction, commercial construction. Um, that can go into it. I mean, now you've got coding, you've got healthcare. What does healthcare mean? Is that an EMT? Are you a, are you a nurse? Are you an RN? Are you an LPN? Are you a CNA? Are you a medical assistant? What, what does this entail? And you start having to learn all these different industries that you're having the opportunity to service because you can't service an industry if you don't understand their needs. Um, so this was a dream for somebody with quote unquote ADHD, uh, to be able to justify my diversified interest and have a lot of different things and, uh, to learn about on an ongoing basis. I mean, we still get different occupations today that I'm learning new things about new equipment. They need to operate and new certifications and all sorts of materials and processes. And, um, so yeah, until I, (laughs) I because until other people started, uh, referring to me, um, I guess, more often than not, as an entrepreneur, I was invited to go speak um, on behalf of entrepreneurship a few times when I was younger, too. I'm I'm only 30 now, but 24, 25, and I think that's when I started realizing that maybe that explains some of these uh, diagnoses I've been getting, maybe that's the underlying condition. Uh, so that's kind of how that came. It wasn't any, you know, I'm, nothing that's too groundbreaking. I was happy to know that I had a label to put on it that uh, that justified my actions and my, my intense uh, curiosity.
0: You and I have talked a lot about how difficult it is for people in certain situations to – Find employment, and you and your agency do a lot. And in your role uh, on on the state's workforce employment board, you advocate doing a lot of different things for the people who are either underemployed or difficult to employ. But for one thing,
1: oh yeah, we uh, the terminology for that is either a hard-to-serve population or a population with barriers to employment. Um, And yeah, as you alluded to, I'm the current chair of the Western Arkansas Workforce Development Board. Um, Mm. Obviously, CEO of Go Employment Services. We do workforce, so that's right down my alley. And a a great way for me to lend my time to uh, a great behind-the-scene cause that I would dare say 100% of your listeners are probably unfamiliar with. Um, It's a great organization. I just appointed for, I was just appointed for my third term as chair of that organization. I've learned so much about the different organizations that exist, I mean, in Western Arkansas specifically, but also across the state um, for people that have barriers to employment. Maybe, you know, they've been incarcerated previously. Maybe their skills are out of date. Maybe they're having a hard time. Uh, finding transportation, maybe they're having a hard time finding and maintaining housing. Um, There's myriad different quote-unquote barriers to employment, and I want to say almost just as many organizations that exist to help people in those places. So you have Arkansas Rehabilitation Services who can help people uh, get resources, job training, coaching, employment placement, Um. Anybody doing with physical or mental rehabilitation needs
0: so I've got one more question just in general about workforce employment and stuff like that this is yeah. as late as we've ever gone before we got to your reboot story but I, I, from from a national and a global perspective as a workforce professional thank you how, how <laughs> How close are we to transforming our economy into less of 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 a traditional workforce and more of an entrepreneurship or solopreneurship sort of sure. a gig economy? Yeah, is that well,
1: coming? Um, you know, the talk of the town is that the gig com- <clears throat> gig economy is not only coming but it's inevitable. Um, but it depends on if you're an optimist how much spend you want to put on that because for a lot of people, a gig economy means that you're going to have to go out and secure your own work on a 1099 basis. You're not going to have an employer. You're not going to have steady income. It means increased competition for your services is what it means. But some people mean, uh, would take that to mean I can work when I want. I don't have to go subscribe to that. Well, yeah, but there's there's pros and cons to everything. you know um, When we're talking about advanced manufacturing, and quote unquote the robots, which may be uh, a bit hyperbolic there, I think. But whenever advanced manufacturing is is taking on and automation is taking on, and you know, for a long time, industry could not find enough people to drive trucks, transportation, C D L. You see the market uh, coming up with solutions in the form of self driving vehicles. That is the single largest occupation in the US. That is going to put a lot of people out of work and potentially eliminate the largest occupation in the US. I mean, that's a real problem that's on the horizon. And not to give horror stories, this won't be the first time that things have been um, made a bit more efficient and um, change has taken over for them. But these are things that we need to be prepared for, we need to be preparing for, we need to be discussing and talking about not sharing horror stories and not shying away because we're too afraid, Um, we need to lean into the discomfort and we need to tear these things apart and we need to say, if X happens and Y is the result, how do we fix that to get to Z? So, you know, if we're looking at a gig economy coming, what does that mean for competition? Is there enough competition if there's not really enough employment for people to even maintain full-time work anymore? Really, maybe even part-time work if we're shifting towards a gig economy, that means you're you're essentially working piecemeal. You're picking up a job at a time, like a contractor or a brick mason who would maybe secure a mailbox here and a fence there. Um, you know, and we're in the age of technology to where people can market themselves. But man, you just look at Facebook. Nobody has enough time to read your updates every single day. It's going to be really hard to differentiate yourself from the crowds and the other um, qualified individuals out there. Now are we always going to need construction? Yeah, but I've also seen videos of um, companies that are releasing 3D printers that can mold an entire 1,500-square-foot residential house. So, you know, for how long? I mean, that nothing's forever. So let's look at that. Um, change has definitely occurred uh, quicker in the last 100 years than it ever has since we've been on the face of this earth. I mean, it's rapid progression in everything, every industry, every technology every skill set
0: how then does a listener prepare herself for the opportunity or the threat of a gig economy does does she need to approach education or professional development or personal development differently in order to make a reboot easier in the next 10 or 20 years
1: well because unorthodox views and approaches are my specialty allow me to take another one um i believe that the only thing um that is going to be unique or proprietary to every single human being is their existence their fears their excitements and I think the only way to do yourself uh, any sort of service for the future is to be true to those because you're going to be the only one that feels that is capable of exactly what you are. Honestly, I think it's going to be, you know, what what do you love to do? And I think you'll start, hopefully, I think that's one of the ideas that everybody really has, right? About Uh, you know, the robots take our job. Oh, thank God I can finally play music. I can finally paint. I can dance. I can sing. I can go fly kites, walk through the woods. Um, I think ultimately that's really what we're working towards. And so I would say if you want to get prepared for a gig economy, become great at what you love because everybody loves to watch a good dancer, listen to a good singer. I can't get enough of Adele personally. Um I mean whenever you you find that niche of whatever it is and you excel at it you're you're going to be able to generate a revenue off of it no matter how out there you think it is people love extraordinary talents
0: Let's talk reboot Who do you tell your story to and how often
1: I've gotten better over the years I don't tell the story as much unless it's asked so thank you for asking Um you know close friends it's funny because a lot of times we'll mull over the past and it seems like I get something new out of it. Um, whether I've got a, cause I'm in a different place now in life. So I just see things a bit differently, even if it's the same high school memory that we've brought up a hundred times. Um, you know, there's not very many people that I, I believe are sincere enough to sit down without maybe judging at some level or, maybe wanting to start an argument that really just want to hear a story and talk and dig and learn and uh, see what's in there. Uh, So I don't want to say it's guarded, but really the only time I think I feel compelled to share anything at all is when I believe it's going to be a sincere exchange. So you know, close friends, uh, some family, uh, that's really about it.
0: Well, I'm honored that you would choose to to share your story with me and our tribe,
1: absolutely, yeah, no, uh, you and I have had some some great conversations, and I think the real the real crime is that we've never got to sit down and just have an eight hour go at it, so we'll try to <laughs> we'll try to make this that caps down if nothing else.
0: was your reboot a, a moment or a series of moments or choices
1: the the moment itself. I'm not going to say this is the exact moment, but the moment for me is I remember I was sitting outside on my porch on a weekend, a uh, lovely spring could have been summer knowing our seasons probably could have been winter, honestly, but it was about 75 degrees, uh, a light breeze. I was sitting outside on my porch, enjoying a craft beer, um, a Hawaiian import. I was very excited. They started importing them, um, at the end of the week and just kind of reflecting like I do, um, listening to music, which I'm sad to say, I don't do nearly as much these days as I used to, uh, but music used to play a, a huge role in my life. Um, and I was listening to some music by a band, third eye blind. And I just want to insert here that they say, whoever you're listening to music wise, while you're in high school, that music is more than likely going to be with you your entire life. You can add some other things to it. You may take one or two away, but really the music that gets you through your high school years will be living in your CD player, MP3 player, iPhone, insert next item here, throughout your life. Uh, And this happens to be the case with that specific band. But I was sitting outside listening to them, and I think I was always drawn to Third Eye Blind because their lyrics were so raw and honest and painful. And that was something I never, never allowed myself to experience on a real and on a sincere level just sitting there I, and I felt so, so fake, uh, so much like a display that I had created that uh, a shell of a person, because everything that I wanted to be perceived as I didn't feel I was actually representative of, um, I kind of called BS on myself in that moment. And I got really frustrated because I used to play guitar and, you know, write songs and do all that, that thing. Uh, when it, didn't work out to be John Mayer. I I put it down and got a little disheartened. But um, I remember thinking in that moment that my my lyrics were never that honest, even when I'd sit down to try to write, even if I had not intended to share it with anybody in the world. And I planned on burning it as soon as I was done. I just needed to write to get something out. I even wrote Guarded. Um, I wanted it to come out with bigger words than were in my normal vocabulary so if I was writing something sometimes I'd stop and look up a word and think no it's a dumb way to use that word this is supposed to mean a lot it needs to be a bigger word and I nothing about it was real it was all vain I wanted to come across as a a Robert Frost of sorts and um, as much as I love Robert Frost that wasn't my life skill but you know it it just it became real to me at that moment that I had a lot of insecurities that I hadn't dealt with. I had a lot of, that I was shielding myself from dealing with. Uh, I had a lot of fears that I hadn't allowed myself to experience that I didn't even really know who the real me was. I knew who I wanted to be, and I knew I wasn't that. The beautiful thing about this is until I got all of that straightened out, which took some time, um, I couldn't really be a person over here at GoYee doing what I'm doing in a, in a, legitimate and an honest way. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm completely there. It's an ongoing thing for sure. Um, I am a work in progress at best, probably on the fifth or sixth canvas by now this year already. But, um, it, it was that moment when I, I realized that something about me wasn't sincere and honest and I didn't like it anymore and started making some efforts and seeking out some, some wisdom, which I'm glad to say, at least I did that, um, to really start addressing how I felt. But I didn't, I didn't know how I felt. I didn't know that there were words to describe what I was going through, other than self-loathing. And I wasn't looking for a Xanax subscription or anything to balance me out. I was looking to try to actually feel uh, life and and to experience you know, empathy, um, as opposed to a a feigned sympathy. And so I would say in that moment, and, you know, it was, it was probably over an entire evening that I was on that porch, just digging into myself, trying to figure it out. But I would say if there was a moment and I'm, I'm sure there were many little, um, warning signs along the way before, before that point. But that's the point that I think I can pinpoint to say that's when it really, Uh, took a direction.
0: What did you do about
1: it? Oh, man. Um, Well, I didn't handle it gracefully. I can tell you that much. Uh, The whole you don't know what you don't know thing. Like I said, uh, I, I started a journey. And because I was calling BS on myself, I often found myself calling BS on others. And because I had no more um, patience with myself. I had no more patience with others. So that was, that was a big problem. And because I had judged myself so hard, I began judging others hard. Um, so I did not exit with grace and I'm sure, um, still have some friends around from that time period who experienced me and some family, and I'm sure they could vouch for that one easily. Um, did not handle it with grace. I did, I didn't know what was going on. It's, uh, I guess the term you could put to it and that folks put to it is called a deconstruction type phase. Um, and it's where everything that I had kind of claimed to believe, I, I one day I hit that wall listening to the beautiful lyrics written by Stephen Jenkins that night and, um, just kind of got real with myself, stripped it all away. And I went through probably two or three years and it, it's still ongoing, but it's it's not nearly as intense as it was for those two or three years. I think I was 24 or 25 probably when that happened. So five or six years removed from that, um, most vicious and intimate of moments with myself. Um, but I started, uh, learning more. I was in a very, very, um, protected, youth and I also extended that outside of my youth and protected myself so I didn't allow myself to experience anything out of very very strict uh, conservative and Christian beliefs Um, I believe that was right and I believed anything else was a temptation or a deceit trying to get in and so I just had absolutely um, which is why I was unable to be empathetic with anybody else because I just thought oh how sad and foolish for them that they're deceived from the truth um so I was a real stand-up classy guy. Um but whenever I started trying to seek it out, I found myself going to some some dark nights of the soul rather frequently. I found myself uh looking to some sources that, you know, um coming from where I was would have probably I would have said whoever reads that book or listens to that person is going to hell, no doubt. Uh, unless, you know, you repent and change your ways, Jesus is good, come back to my side, you'll be all right. So I I found myself embracing um, the complete antagonist of the points that I had once held, uh, which I think leads into why whenever I exited, I would say it, 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 it wasn't with grace when I left that former self behind because I left with so much animosity and rage. And whenever you go from complete, Uh, You do a complete 180, you know, you're all the way right and you go all the way left and all you're learning is the most vicious, uh, the, the same viewpoints you held as viciously were held on the other side, just as viciously. Um, and so I was, I was a victim of that for probably a, you know, a couple of years because I was embracing all that information that I'd never let in and I held it as my new gospel, my new truth. And It was a recipe for, um, uh, disaster, I guess you could say. Um, I, I don't regret any of it. I wish I absolutely, and I'm too stubborn to have taken a guided, guided trip (laughs) through this anyways, but I wish I would have had a little foreknowledge about what hell I was getting myself into before I did it. Because, you know, this is whenever, you know, Richard Dawkins and I mean, they were called the four horsemen famously with, uh. Uh, Christopher Hitchens and Daniel Dennett, and and I would read. I mean, things as innocent as Bill Nye the Science Guy as well. So it wasn't just all hardcore. But uh, you would read, you know, Freud. You would read just the critiques of everything that I came out of. And uh, like I said, there, there's some value and some merit in definitely knowing both sides and understanding where they're coming from. My problem was is I went from perceived truth to perceived truth, and. It took me a few years to realize that neither uh neither foothold that I was on was really that secure and meant for standing.
0: I think that's fascinating, Miles, that you that you made this sudden shift from I'm on this side of a philosophical spectrum and now all of a sudden you're on the opposite side, <clears> but you're still the same person. Arguing against the side that you were on—that's fascinating to me.
1: Well, and that's Co- why. Confusing. That's why. Oh man, wow! You know, when you're in when you're in the storm, you rarely realize you're in the storm until you get out of it and figure out what peace is like. I mean, you just think life is turmoil, never ending, and that's that's what it is. Um, but and, and I mean, that's why I referenced. You know, that's I listened to nothing but lectures and. audio books and did a lot of reading funny thing is I never you couldn't get me to read books in high school every book report I ever did I was cliff notes or the synopsis read the first five page the middle the back five I mean that I did not read I detested it Um, just did not care for it and about during this phase of life is whenever I just started reading Um, just digging into everything I could find everything changed. My perception of everything changed. Uh, my understanding of everything changed. My view of everything changed. I thought, oh my God, how did I not know any of this? That's been my life's MO is uh, going into things unorthodox and you know not prepared the way most people are. Uh, but that allows me to have takeaways that other people are not going to have. So I am, I am unique in the thoughts that I hold, I can say that.
0: This has been an unorthodox interview, and I, and I can't leave this spot without asking you, where are you now with this sort of ongoing transformation of how you view life and faith and the world?
1: I liken myself to a couple of things, but in this uh, sort of a, sort of a forward-moving pendulum, um, it seems like most things – Ever since that night that I would come up on, I would swing full right, and then I would swing full left, but I, I'm I'm forward moving in that after I've just really dissected into a specific topic for a, an amount of time, and I feel like I can come to grips with a resolution, whether it's right or wrong, but for me, I can come to grips, I'm usually somewhere back towards the middle. I've swung back that way, and then I'll move on to the next one and generally swing right, then hard left and kind of come back to that middle ground and, and move forward. Um, and I liken myself to, oh man, I don't think I'll ever find land again. And I say that to mean, I don't think that I will ever be able to say, this is the absolute truth about anything and rest and leave it at that. Again. Um, I've, I've, Claimed, I've laid my claim to certainty and uh, was stuck on certainty on both sides of the fence. And I've got to tell you, neither side has a monopoly on truth. And both sides have some misinformation and maybe all good intentions, but unfortunately, some misunderstandings. And one thing that I refuse to do these days now is subscribe to any doctrine, to any orthodoxy, to any, you know, and people say it all the time, I'm an independent, uh, uh, no political party or an affiliation. They ask me who you vote for. And it's such a loaded question. It drives me insane as if, as if there is black and white, as if there is right and wrong, as if you really know it. And these other people just don't, they just, they've missed it. I mean, it's a very, very prideful view to hold that whatever you're trying to say that you're right about means that there's no room for somebody else's truth to also coexist. And ironically, I used to make fun of those coexist stickers I'd see on signs and, uh, you know, on the back of cars and things like that. And I thought, oh, those cowards, they're, you know, too cowardly to take a stand for anything. Um, No, I think it's pretty where I'm at, for me, if I ever took a stand, I think I would consider that cowardice because I'm too afraid to explore the outer realms of what another truth may have, uh, what it may hold. Uh, Since this journey, I've been fascinated with social justice. Uh, I've been fascinated with human rights. I've been fascinated with you know, a lot of that biblical talk about doing to others and love your brother and love your neighbor as yourself. It's taken a light outside of the context that I had always interpreted it in. Um, I I try to drop as much judgment as I can. um, And by drop, I mean, refuse to extend, not I'm going to drop some judgment on you, fool, that type of stuff. But um, I I shy away from it. I shy away from certainty. um, And, you know, I turned to books and I turned to audio tapes and I turned to a lot of that, but there are some communities that I've been fortunate enough to stumble on online and it by no means replaces the camaraderie or the group that you find in a community and an in-person meeting and things of that nature. But it's a community where we can share text. At least I can type it out the way that a poet or a songwriter writes out the poem or the song to get the bleeding heart into words, at least to be able to vent on some level Uh, And it's a community to where they can share back and it's similar circumstances. We've all gone through what is, you know, we referred to as the quote unquote uh, deconstruction phase. And to be honest with you, there's plenty of times to where I think I should leave this group. I'm starting to fall underneath, you know, the orthodoxy of deconstruction all of a sudden. And there is a group of us meeting under a, a commonality and like, oh, God, last thing I'm going to do is subject myself to this this realm of beliefs and feelings and orthodoxy again. And just about every time I say that, I, uh, I realize maybe it's not a horrible thing to have 20 people from across the entire world that you can just vent your soul to every now and then. Um, but I, by no means hold what they say as doctrine and we, we debate each other often, which is one of the uh, more refreshing things about it is that we don't hold the same views. Um, but you know, knowing, knowing me, give it six more months and I'll be out of there for the same reasons I've been out of everything else. I just, I I can't plant a flag in one place for too long. I, I liken it to kind of being on a ship and at sea and I don't plan on seeing land anytime soon. And as a matter of fact, I think I'll just get used to living on the waters. It's never felt so good to not be certain. I've never, I've never felt more certain about anything in my life to say, Uh, the paradox there. But I mean, in three months, I'm going to be calling bull crap on what I said three months ago, because I've learned something new that's changed. And
0: let's come back a little bit to the love one another and how you view that differently, especially in terms of human rights and, and justice and things like that. Sure. That plays a huge part in the services you provide with your business, because I understand enough about your business, I think, to know that your, your revenue comes from servicing employers. Correct. But when I hear you say that you take a whole different view of love one another than you once did, and I yeah. see you placing a lot of professional and personal emphasis from a knowledge perspective and from a passionate perspective on serving people who have barriers to employment. I think that's where you take your stand miles.
1: If you could call that a stand. Yeah. Um, that, uh, love one or another, <clears throat> love your neighbors as yourself, love one another. That's, uh, that was a hard transition because, you know, like I like, and you just alluded to that even the meaning of that changed for me. So um went through a phase to where <clears throat> when you're in business, it's about you've got to generate revenue. I mean, whether you're for profit or not. Uh, and by the way, I want to correct those that use the term nonprofit. There's no such thing as an organization that does not make profit. If you do not make more than you spend, you fail to exist. You can call it a tax exempt organization. I'll, I'll allow that. Let's not call anything nonprofit. You have to generate revenue over and above what your expenses are. That's just basic existence principles. So you've got to eat food to stay alive. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. Um, but I started getting real caught up in the human rights and I, to the point to where this industry, um, they are in service of the employers. And you're, you're 100% correct. We do not charge job seekers at all a dime for anything unless they steel equipment or something of that nature um, but we do not charge them to help them with our services and to place them and to help connect them to resources and to get them jobs we we do not charge for any of that uh, we charge our employers so as you would expect our industry tends to lean towards the side of employers and take the side of the employer so when there are discrepancies which are inevitable in this industry You'll have an employee come to you and say, this employer is not treating me right or they're doing things unethically or they're not following safety codes or, you know, there's harassment going on and there's defamation and everything. And then you've got your employer who's paying the light bill and you've got to go to them and they say, no, that's not true. This employee just – he can't handle correction. I just tried to correct him and he flipped off and blah, blah, blah. Now you've got two sides of the story. Whose side do you think our industry takes? every time it's going to be the employer the guy who's paying for the light bills and while I was having this transition um, it was hard because I actually lost a client over continually telling them that we were not going to be able to do X Y and Z to these employees who were reporting them for these safety violations and for unprofessional conduct and everything and it got to the point to where um, and we had we had big big plans to payroll their whole company and uh, do some other things, and we unfortunately couldn't work that out. And generally, uh, in that stance, if you're a decent business individual at all, you cut your losses, you remove your employees from that job, uh, you try to find a couple of more, or you whatever. But in that specific circumstance, I thought our employees had a legitimate claim. Ethics 101 says you take their side, not business 101 mind you, but ethics 101. And I was going through this time to where this was really really these were fresh wounds for me. And I I was taking it literal. Like I don't know if we're actually supposed to or not, but I I tried to take it literal and I and I did. And we lost a large client over one or two employees. Um very very bad business decision um and no believe it or not i wasn't able to just sleep that night it it wasn't that easy talk about an internal conflict i mean as a family business i'm by no means a selfish monopoly on the industry here i'm uh trying to pay for kids dance lessons and uh soccer classes and my wife goes to college and works part time and I mean, we have expenses that we've got to cover we have groceries you know what my parents are a part of this and you know, the whole family's involved. And I mean, so that these are not easy decisions. When you decide to take radical messages, literally, it's never going to be an easy decision ever. I mean, that, that was one thing that struck me, uh, identify with the Christian faith or not. A lot of people respect the, uh, the picture and the image of Jesus as he was portrayed. And, you know, he said, carry your cross. And a lot of people are like, well, this is my cross to bear. Do you realize that his cross was the instrument that killed him, that literally he carried it until the most painful death? If you're really carrying your cross, you're carrying the tool of your own death and deconstruction and just, uh, I don't think that we understand some literal meanings of some of these things. And, you know, for me, I, I talked real, real righteous about myself, about, oh, I'm carrying my cross as a my burden to bear and i I may be digressing a bit here but i mean when you start taking these things literally and you see them in a light that you've never seen them in before um you start having some radical experiences and some radical views and uh you can see that black and white are no longer the only two colors in existence um you know and i'm not even talking about gray i'm talking about roy g biv red orange yellow green blue indigo violet i'm you put the full spectrum on display there's there's a lot more going on um so you know how we how we build that into our own business is it's one day at a time it's a case by case basis it can't be a blanket policy that you put into place um every situation is different just like every person is different I mean, yeah you've got to have uh you know your policies and procedures in place you've got to have contracts you've got to have unanimous enforcement and uniform enforcement and Uh, everything of that nature, I mean, to not get sued and everything. But what I've learned is generally if you're not acting with malicious intent and you can document well why you acted if you're acting with integrity and with good intentions, and this is by no means considered legal advice. I want to throw that in there. But this is how I approach it. Um, If you're acting ethically and you're acting – with the other person's best interest in mind, you're generally going to be okay. Um, you may not make money on that specific day, or week, or month. Um, and you know, that's that's another thing that people need to ask themselves before they, they get into entrepreneurship or uh, small business is, can I handle the paradox of I have to generate a profit while still trying to, you know, do the Lord's work or whatever it is, you know, be a decent human being because sometimes being for profit can be a direct contradiction to everything in you that says, but I should just help this person out this time because I could, but you can't, I'd say the best preparation you can, you can give is to continually practice empathy. Continually practice considering the well-being of others. Continually keep those at the forefront of your mind. And obviously, there's plenty of people that try to take advantage of things. And if you're continually practicing this stuff, you you'll you'll catch on to sincerity. The whole world is a world of paradox. That you just take one paradox at a time.
0: Best book in 2017 that our listeners can benefit from?
1: Oh, best book in 2017. Now I started doing this thing about four years ago, um, maybe five years ago, kind of coinciding with a little journey I talked about to where um, another benefit of having an office and a printer. I worked up uh, a three tabled, uh, well, three column table for book author, and then a short little synopsis or takeaway that I had about it, and then date that I finished it. Because I wanted to be able to look back on my life and reflect what I was reading at what times. And I think that correlates a lot to my uh, actions and memories for that period of time. So I'm consciously going back through my 2017 list and trying to remember which one um, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what we've talked about yet, but there was a book called "War Is a Force That Gives Us Meaning" by Chris Hedges, and it's got to be one of those out there outlier topics that you just are interested in for some reason, or you want to know. Um, but he was a war correspondent uh, in Sarajevo and in Middle Eastern region for years and he writes about um the addiction that not just countries individuals have to war um and if you've seen the movie uh hurt locker at the end of it it, there's a scene where cuts away to him in a grocery store uh buying groceries and cuts away to him Uh, cleaning out gutters, and just doing these really daily, mundane, you know, honey do list tasks. And he's just, like, empty. And the the movie ends with uh, a plane or a helicopter landing and him in full gear jumping back out into the war zone. I mean, it's – once you get that addiction to that constant rush, that constant fear, that constant uh, adrenaline – it just can't be replicated by, by things in this area. And so this book was about the effect that it has on people who serve um, PTSD included. And he does a fascinating or took part in a fascinating study or cites a study to where people who were in uh, a constant battlefield area for 25 or 30 days or something like that continually, 98% of them, tested for psychotic symptoms when they came back from war. The other 2% had already tested for those symptoms before they went. So it it in, unalterably changes people whenever they go to war. And it kind of allows you to not disconnect yourself from the war cry that maybe we have very often as a proud country to defend our rights overseas and Uh, You know, our protections and what that means, it it helps you put in perspective by no means all, but maybe this casualty, this cost, and maybe it helps you appreciate it more. Maybe it helps you rethink how you feel about that. Maybe it helps you rethink what you consider to be uh, an actionable item to mandate that type of response. And just the effects that it has on these people and, and not just the soldiers but the citizens in that area and even the war reporters. He he uh, was very open and mentioned having a heavy, heavy, heavy drinking problem for four or five years or something of that nature. A couple of years after he came back to deal with the level of PTSD that he had developed just from being in these combat zones. Um, and it was just a completely eye-opening a testimony of of honesty not about imperial power not about the evils of um but about the effects that it can have and like i said the the addiction uh, that it becomes and how it desensitizes um, those who experience it on on such a lasting lasting level so that was um a real real moving book. And on top of that, I would add the new Jim Crow. I'm not going to go into nearly as much depth about that. But that was uh, that may have been late 2016. But that was another just eye opening, uh, painful, painful book to read.
0: That one is already on my list for 2018. But I uh, I'm just about to add the uh, Chris Hedges book. Thank you. Yeah, this has been so much fun. I I just I I always appreciate sitting down and talking to you because you're 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 free to give your your wisdom and your uh, if you
1: can call it that. Yeah,
0: your your hard (laughs) one wisdom. Yeah, I would say (laughs) that. So um, thank you, my friend. Thank you for your time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. It's always it's always good to, to talk about this when I can because uh, as I mentioned earlier, I don't often get to just sit down and, and share. So this is I, I think I told you before we started that I would probably say some things that surprised me and I'd learn a little bit about myself just because whenever I, I tend to get into to depth and detail on some of these things that have lied dormant for some time, I have some new wisdom or knowledge that I have gained since the last time I discussed them, and I can I can come to new realizations the more I talk it out and uh, discuss these things. So I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm sure I will take as much away from this as you get to.
0: Thank you, my brother. Appreciate thank it.
1: Thank
0: you. Yeah. Wow. Miles, thank you for taking us inside your own deconstruction and your approach to learning, doing business, and really taking a hard look at how we treat other people. Now, if you're interested in learning more about Go Ye or the current labor force, maybe some issues, the future of work, stuff like that, check out Miles' brand new podcast. It's called, appropriately enough, The Go Ye Podcast, and it is hosted on Podbean. We will share a link to those episodes in our show notes. If you have a question for Miles, if you want to ask him to speak to a group or Talk to him about business. Um, He says email is the best way to hit him up. It's miles at com. Now, if you know somebody who could benefit from hearing Miles' story, would you share this interview? And hey, let's be kind to one another and to ourselves. I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time.
2: We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.